Binge-worthy part two. Take out your Bibles again if you haven't already. Spider-Man and the purpose of pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going. 2 Corinthians 12. I like Spider-Man. Am I talking to any fans here today? Yeah, all right. You're the most excited about Spider-Man. You must be the coolest audience of the weekend. Uh, there's like so many movies that have come out. There's eight in the last 10 years, three iterations, uh, three different actors. I also like to say three different generations of Spider-Man. There was the Tobey Maguire generation. Woo. Yeah, yeah. That's mine. That's my Spider-Man, yeah. And then I have a 17-year-old son named Connor, and I, I call his Spider-Man. That's, that's uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Anybody? Thank you, Simon. Only two movies for Andrew. Only two. And, and then now the newest one is this kid, Tom Holland. Tom Holland Spider-Man fans? Yeah, they're, all, they're actually all in our children's ministry. <laughs> I call that Jake Spider-Man. And, and I was watching that movie with Jake this week, and... And uh, it's been a great week of preparation, spending time with my little boy, <laughs> watching these movies. Every Spider-Man story is the same in how he comes to the fulfillment of his purpose. It's, it's quite, a, quite amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful story. Peter Parker goes and visits Oscorp, gets bitten by a radioactive spider. We know this story, right? Radioactive spider bites him. He goes to bed sick, wakes up suddenly. He can crush things with his hand. Doesn't need his glasses anymore. Can crawl up the walls. Goes to high school the next day. Beats up the school bully. Like every teenager's dream, right? Suddenly wake up with power and beat up your nemesis. But he has to learn, right? He has to learn about how to properly use his power. His power can't be used just to fight his own personal problems. And Uncle Ben usually is the one who passes away gives him a life lesson. The life lesson is kind of a cultural epitaph today. I'm going to start it. I'm sure you can finish it. Usually Spider-Man's movies go like this. With great power comes great responsibility. And I was not a big fan of the Tom Holland iteration of Spider-Man, of course, tied to my Tobey Maguire days. But i got to say this last movie that is now still in the theaters, really powerful story, really well done. Uh, one of the best movies of the Spider-Man movies that I think they made. And what I love about it is that it takes a turn in a couple of different directions that actually speak to a problem that is universal. None of us are going to wake up with secret powers. <laughs> None of us are going to wake up with superpowers. But all of us are going to experience what Peter Parker experienced in this movie and in previous iterations, but especially in this last one. Pain. All of us are going to experience that. And I want to talk to you on how in this movie, the latest one, Spider-Man finds his purpose through not his power, but his pain. So I will actually change, the, change that little mantra, change that little epitaph. Here's what I want you to write down. With great pain comes great opportunity. With great pain comes great opportunity. There is a purpose to your pain. People online, people in-house, there's a reason for it, and God wants to use it. And I think this movie is fantastically well-written. I'm going to spoil the movie, so if you haven't seen it, you're going to get all the secrets today. That's what you get for not going to the movies. 
Peter Parker is, uh, is struggling with a different kind of pain in this movie, and it reminded me, and it led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because we're not just going to look at scripture, we're going to, I mean, culture, we're going to look at scripture, of, of course. But I think that 2 Corinthians chapter 12, probably Paul's most painful text to write in the Bible. It's right in the middle of four chapters, 2 Corinthians 10 through 13, in which he is emotionally appealing to this church to come back, to come back to himself in many ways. Paul the Apostle, in case you don't know much of the Bible, dynamically, miraculously saved from hardcore legalistic religion. Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up, stops him in his tracks, blinds his eyes, throws him to the ground, has this amazing miraculous conversion. He's blind for three days. A guy named Ananias comes, lays hands, heals his blindness, and he is converted to Christ. And the guy who wanted to kill Christians now preaches Christ. Amazing story. He goes all around the world bringing the Gospels, like the world's first Billy Graham, brings the Gospel to every metropolitan city in the entire Roman world. Amazing force for Jesus. And, and yet there was one particular church that he started, that he founded, that gave him a lot of pain. The Corinthian church. The word Corinthians from these two books in our Bible, First and Second Corinthians, comes from a city named Corinth in ancient Greece. Still there, just a remnant of what it was. Paul arrives at this city and, and his typical schedule was preach three weeks and then leave the church in the hands of those who came to Christ and move on to another church, move on to another city, preach three weeks and move on. For some reason, Corinth got his heart, got into his heart. And he stayed there, not three weeks, he stayed there for a year and a half. Pastors the church, leads the leaders, raises up elders, gets the whole system running. I mean, it really was his baby. He moves on to another church, as he always did, after a long stay in Corinth, and then he gets reports from Timothy and some of his partners in ministry that the Corinthian church was jacked up, messed up. They're taking each other to court. They're factional. They're divisive. They're tribal. They're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper because they drank real wine back in those days. I mean, they are exploiting the poor. They're having sex with temple shrine prostitutes in, in the city, in the temple to Aphrodite. I, it is a hot mess church. How many know every church is a hot mess? It's just a matter of what, what Richter scale number we get in there on hot mess, all right? Some of you are new to Waters Church. You're like, oh man, touch of heaven. Just give us time. We will disappoint you. Corinth was a mess. It was insider mess, outsider, bad reputation. So Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians to them. 1 Corinthians deals with their internal problems. And he tells them, you got to stop doing that. you got to stop doing this. That's not what Christians do. Come on, you're called to a higher life. Let's go. Let's shape up. Let's ship out. All this stuff. 1 Corinthians 16 chapters. And a lot of the problems are solved. But then he gets word of another problem. And that's what 2 Corinthians is written to. And the problem that he addresses in 2 Corinthians is that some guys had come into the church, some self-appointed, self-proclaimed celebrity pastors, or if you will, celebrity apostles, had infiltrated the ranks of the Corinthian church, and they started to tear the Corinthian church away from Paul and his leadership and influence. They started to backtalk Paul. They started to degrade his ministry. They had ample opportunity. Paul had spent a lot of time in prison for the gospel. So they said things like, 
Paul can't really be called by God because look at how often he's in prison. And look at how much he suffered. And, you know, he wasn't really one of the original 12 that walked with Jesus. You know that, right? Oh, and he persecuted the church before he was a Christian. So they had ample opportunity to really demean Paul's reputation to the church that he planted. I mean, this is the church that he started. And they actually called themselves, kind of very um, coordinated with this message week, they actually called themselves super apostles. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so there's apostles and there's super apostles. Super apostles, right? And they go and they kind of upend the whole church. And the church listens to them and starts to turn on Paul. And so he has to write them another letter, 2 Corinthians. And, and it's really the most emotionally charged letter and writing in the New Testament because Paul is seriously hurt. He's wounded by the people that he led to Christ. And I wonder who I'm talking to here today who needs to hear this, that you have that same experience because sometimes, and I want you to write it down, it's a fact about pain. It's the fact about pain. The people who hurt you the most are often the people to whom you give the most of yourself. Right? You're not going to get hurt by the guy who flips you off because you got in front of him on the highway. Well, maybe temporarily, but, you know, you're going to get over that pretty easily. You're going to get hurt by the person that you poured yourself into who then turned on you. You're going to get hurt by the friend that you grew up with that for some reason never returns your texts or calls anymore. And then you find out through word of mouth that they're offended by something you said or did or, or they hate who you voted for. You're going to get hurt not by people who are strangers. And this is something that we are, I mean, it's, it's obvious, but we need to be told. You're going to get hurt by the people you're closest to. And that's what Paul is writing about here in this passage. And that's what happens to Peter Parker in the movie. And we're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to hear what he says here in this chapter because it's going to sound like he's bragging, but he's not. What he's doing is he's beating the super apostles at their own game. They love to brag about their ecstatic experience, their supernatural revelations. They like to brag about their gifts, talents, and abilities. They like to brag about how they had experienced God in a special way. And Paul spends 2 Corinthians 11 bragging about all of his suffering for God. He's talking about his whippings and his stonings and his imprisonments and his shipwrecks. And he's like, I'm bragging about that. That's my boast because God used that. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he talks about his incredible revelation experience that he had. And so with that in mind, in that context, let's stand together and read this chapter. Let's stand around, well, the first 10 verses of the chapter anyway. So this is what he's talking about. Chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says... I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I had a revelation from the Lord, he says. I had a vision. What's the vision, Paul? Here's what he says, verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, just remember 14 years ago for later, later on in the message, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. It's a mystical experience, he's not sure. God knows. I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Now, now, Paul's using third person here. He's actually talking about himself. And the reason why he does that is because he's saying, I don't want to take credit for this. This is something that God did. But he's really talking about himself. So he has this experience where he goes to heaven, visits heaven. 
comes back to earth. And then it says this. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think me more than he think of me more than what he sees in me or hears from me. Now, this is the passage we're going to deal with about pain. Here we go. Look at this. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect, where? In weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more, gladly, by the way, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am, what? Strong. So many cultural euphemisms from that one passage. Thorn in the flesh, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. All from this emotionally charged passage from the Apostle Paul on finding the purpose to our pain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, speak to us. Help us to hear your word and know your voice. And I, I pray that our eyes are open not just to culture, but more importantly to Scripture and ultimately to Jesus. Help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I think that um, the, uh, the Marvel Universe, the, the story writers are doing a fantastic job with these movies. i got to be honest with you. I, I was somewhat of a superhero fan, but um, I'm a real fan, and especially with young boys and Children, it's wonderful to watch with them. But they're doing a great job telling these stories. And the reason why is not because of the power that these people experience or get, but because of how they leverage the pains of their lives. They're doing a great job telling these stories. That's what we can relate to. None of us have superpowers. I mean, we want some, but we don't get them, right? But all of us have pain. And so they do a great job. And if you think about it, every superhero has to deal with pain. Everyone. Kyle L., a.k.a. Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, right, has to deal with the pain of his planet being blown up and he was, you know, extradited to the, to the earth by his parents. And what, how do I deal with that? Bruce Wayne has to deal with the pain of his parents being shot in cold blood in the streets of Gotham, a city that he next, later goes on to save. And Doctor Strange has to deal with the pain of the accident with his hands. And, and Iron Man has to deal with the pain of being abducted by terrorists and having his own weapons turned against him. And he has to find out, how do I handle this? What, what is the reason for this? And, and what's making these stories powerful is that they deal with the common denominator human condition. That is, that we will experience enormous amounts of pain throughout the entirety of our lives. And if we don't find a purpose, we will be the most miserable people on the face of the earth. We got to know how to handle pain. And that's what makes for a powerful story. And can I just tell you that pain is inevitable. There's no stopping it. You don't have enough money and you never will to keep pain from happening in your life. In fact, sometimes more money brings more pain. In the words of the great theologian Biggie Smalls, more money, more problems. 
You, you can't outsucceed pain. Pain will come no matter how high you climb on the corporate ladder. You can't outspiritual pain. Maybe I know that a little bit better than you because I'm on the stage in church. That means I'm more spiritual than all of you. But pastors experience pain. I'm just kidding about that, by the way. Don't email me. <laughs> pastors experience pain. We've experienced pain over 20 years of leaving this church, my wife and I. We have shed tears over this church. We've watched friends leave, good people leave, stab us in the back, write nasty grams about us on Facebook, curse us out, cuss us out, bitterly complain about the smallest little things, walk out the door and take people with them. We've had mass exodus three times in this, in this, in this church. Most, most recently over the 2020-2021 debacle of the entire world. We watch people just walk out, never come back. Walk out over COVID, walk out over uh, uh, all the racial tension in our country, all the divisions that are going on in our country right now, seeped in the church, we watched it, and we watched it take people captive and have good people who loved us turn on us. You can't out-spiritual pain. You have a choice when it comes to your pain. Choice number one, bitter. Bitterness, just get mad. Get mad at God, get mad at others. Choice number two, isolate. Keep people at arm's length. I don't want to get hurt by them again. In fact, I don't want to get hurt by anybody like them. So some of you are leading very lonely lives because of the pain in your past. Some of you won't come back to church because of the pain in your life. You're still watching online. You're like, this is comfy. Well, I think there's a deeper issue there. There's a spiritual comfort that you're holding on to. You need to get over that. You need to get back in the house of God. Amen, somebody. Isolating. So bitterness, isolation. What's the third option, Pastor? Because none of those sound good. Purpose. What is God going to do with this pain in your life? I think about Jonathan Edwards, pastor in Northampton, Massachusetts. One of the started, one of the, one of the servants of God that was used to start the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening in the 1700s led countless millions of Americans to Christ, spiritual wave of revival swept up and down the East Coast of the United States, possibly gave this country the impetus to fight the Revolutionary War. That's what historians tell us anyway. He pastored for 22 years in one church in Northampton, Massachusetts, 22 years of faithful preaching, and on his 22nd year, they voted him out. They just kicked him out. Why? Mismanagement of funds? Adultery? Sexual morality? No. He believed that before somebody could become a member of the church, they had to make a public confession of faith in Christ. He got kicked out for that. He got kicked out for doing the right thing by the people that he served and loved for 22 years. Went out to the frontier, which at that time was Albany, New York. Ministered to about 50 Native Americans. The college in New Jersey, College of New Jersey, which later became Princeton, called on him to become their president. And he refused and refused. And eventually he just gave in and came down and, and became the first president of Princeton University. And six months into his tenure, he died. Pain is inevitable. You can't out earn it, you can't out succeed it, and you can't out spiritualize it. It's gonna happen. Find out how to deal with it. And that's what I love about this particular movie. In this movie, the last one, Peter Parker has a problem. I, I didn't watch the second one of the Tom Holland movies, but I guess Mysterio, his nemesis in that movie, had outed him to the world. So everybody knew that Spider-Man was Peter Parker. 
His face is everywhere. He can't go to school. His friends can't get into their college of their choice because they're associated with him. He can't get into the college of his choice. So he's living this miserable life because he can't have any freedom and any peace, and his, uh, his anonymity is gone. And so he goes to Dr. Strange's house, and he asks Dr. Strange to cast a spell so that people can go back in time and forget that he was ever, or they can stop Mysterio from outing him. And Dr. Strange is like, no, I'm not messing with time again. That, that made everybody disappear for five years. We're not going to do that again. And so... Uh, Dr. Strange suggests a spell, a spell of forgetfulness to cause the whole world to forget that Peter Parker was outed. So he tries it, and Peter Parker kind of flips out while he's casting the spell, and it mistakenly gets cast, and instead of causing everybody to forget who Peter Parker is, a worse problem happens. Everybody from all the other universes of Spider-Man and all the other movies who knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man are now transmitted into this universe of Spider-Man. So um, Doc Ock shows up, and Norman Osborn shows up, and Sandman shows up. They're all from the other movies. It's really quite interesting. And, and, and along the way, uh, Peter Parker runs into Dr. Norman Osborn, the archetype nemesis of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And he's kind of lost, because if you remember in the Tobey Maguire movies, he died. Now he's back to life again, lost, doesn't know who he is, kind of suffering amnesia. And it's Aunt May who convinces Peter Parker to help Norman Osborn, his nemesis. And he does. He serves him, he helps him, he brings him into his home, tries to make him better, tries to give him mental health. It's an amazing story. But how many know, archetype nemesis always be archetype nemesis. And along the way, Norman Osborn gets evil again and stabs Peter and Aunt May in the back and throws one of his little green goblin bombs right into Aunt May's face, and tragedy ensues. Watch this. So that's where the story really begins. How is Peter going to handle the pain of losing Aunt May? Never before in any of the other movies did Aunt May, Aunt May die. She was always the stalwart of his life. Now she's gone. And what are you gonna do, Peter Parker? What are you gonna do? Get mad, get bitter? Isolate. He almost makes those choices, but he's got to find purpose. And that's what makes the story so powerful. Because here's the thing our world is obsessed with power. Culturally speaking, our, our world, our political leaders, power. Well, what's going on in Ukraine right now? There's a power grab. What's going on in your life? I bet there's a lot of people that have power over you that have made your life miserable. Do you know why? Because power alone never truly leads to anything good. Because there's this sinful condition in all of us that distorts the power that we're given to serve our own ends. And at some point in our lives, God saves us. If we're Christians, we're saved. But can I tell you that what he saves you from is more than hell and more than sin. Can I tell you that what God really saves you from is you. Your sinful nature that will use whatever power that life gives you for your own ends and your own achievements. And this is the beautiful grace and loving kindness of your Father in heaven. He refuses to let your own pride ruin the power that he gives you. So how does he do it? Pain. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians. So three things and we're done. Finding the opportunity of your pain. Number one, pain can keep me from pride. 
Notice that is can, not always, okay? Not every pain keeps you from pride. But pain is God's prophylactic drug to keep the pride out. That's what Paul says here. He says it so clearly, twice in one verse, verse 7. So, he's on the, on the heels of talking about going to heaven and seeing God and hearing about all the things that he wasn't allowed to tell us here on earth. He says, on the heels of that experience, so, verse 7, to keep me from becoming, what's the word? Conceited, put verse 7 up on the screen. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger saying to harass me, and then he repeats, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. Uh, pain can keep you from pride. Why is that important? Because pain hurts. Pride kills. Pain will be something that hurts you. Can I tell you that pride will hurt everybody around you? And I want you to put in a mental idea right now on a scale, your pride and your pain. And God the Father has a wonderful knack of making sure that your pain is always heavy enough to outweigh your pride. Because pride will wreck your life and the lives of those you love and care about and should serve. I mean, if there is anything that this war in Ukraine should teach us right now, it is this, that pride kills people. It's destroying entire civilizations. Peace-loving people are having to move out and be refugees to other countries. Why? Because of the pride of one man. Because he wants glory. He wants this old age of, of, of Soviet glory to come back and is hurting good people. And in a microcosm, I think that's what's happening in Americans' lives, in, in, in humans' lives, that, that when we make our lives about us, we trample over others for our own glory. And let that never be the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have to remember that we do not serve some king in a palace in some glorious city somewhere on earth. No, we serve a crucified Savior, a man who surrendered himself to God's purposes and was born in a manger and laid in a tomb and put on a cross and suffered and died and bled to show the world that through great suffering, God can save a lot of people. And everybody who follows him has got to pick up their cross and follow him, that God will use your pain for the purposes of helping a lot of people after you that's the church let us never believe that all we are in the business of doing in this church is building great buildings and having great audiences and great great atmospheres no the purpose of what we're doing here right now is to discover the power of Christ through suffering for the sake of others so that they might know the joy that he can bring to their hearts in spite of what they're going through some of you have suffered greatly. Some of you are suffering greatly right now. Do you understand that the Scripture says you're called to it? The Scripture says in Philippians, you can look it up later, Philippians 131. It's been, granted on, it's been granted to you not only to believe on Christ, but to suffer for him. I like the first part of that verse much better than the second part. Anybody with me? It's been granted on you to believe on Christ. Ooh, yes, Amen. And to suffer. Ugh. Paul says to Timothy that through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus said, take up your cross. And then he said, rejoice when people hate on you and 
name call you and persecute you and take your property. Hebrews talks about the fact that good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians had their property taken away, had their homes destroyed, and lived like refugees on the earth. And Hebrews chapter 12 says this little moniker about them. They were people of whom the world was not worthy. They were called to a different world. And they suffered joyfully because they knew it was for a purpose. God sometimes has to bring pain to knock you down, to get you off your high horse. Some of you are like, I don't have pride. Oh man, pride is an elusive sin to see. It manifests itself in so many different ways. There's the obnoxious pride that we see in our culture, in our society, me firstism. Then there's the more subversive versions of pride. The version of pride that gets on social media and just judges people for a good hour. That's what some of you do. You get on social media not because you want to be social, you want to be more spiritual. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. <laughs> Man, I wish Facebook had a dislike button. So some, so some of us manifest pride through our controlling spirit. This is, what, this is what the scriptures talk about with marriage. The problem with marriage is that both partners want to control the other. That's really the problem with every marriage ever made. And God warned us about it. After they eat the fruit, what does he do? Shows up. Says, what you guys do? Well, we ate the fruit. Aha, aha, aha. Here's what's going to happen. Eve, he's going to rule over you, and you're going to try to control him. And every marriage ever since then has been baked. That has been baked into the cake. This quest for power. I'm going to control you. No, I'm going to control you. And, and what's happened in our politics? It's not about serving people. It's about power and control. And these last two years have been about power and control. That's really what's happening. Pride manifests itself in any number of venues. There's another great movie you should watch on television so all the bad stuff is edited out. It's called The Devil's Advocate. And Al Pacino plays the part of the devil. And he, and he, and he, and he coerces this kid from uh, the South to come and be a high-paid, impact lawyer for corporate America in New York City. And little does he know that he's leading him down the way to hell. And, and there's a famous refrain in that movie. And the devil keeps saying the same thing over and over again through the many venues through which he offers the this, this lawyer to become corrupt. And the line is this, vanity is definitely my favorite sin because he can play on it any number of ways. There's even Christian pride. <laughs> Christian pride, look at me. That's what Jesus was talking about. He said, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by others. Don't serve to be seen. If you're serving to be seen, you're not serving Christ, you're serving yourself. You gotta post the Instagram message. Look at me. Ah! <laughs> Say, Pastor, don't you put your sermons on Instagram? Yes, I do. To help people. But I don't do it. Someone else does. Blame them. <laughs> but the point is, some, sometimes we'll take a Christian thing, a godly thing, and we'll twist it to serve ourselves. And God, again, I wanna remind you, has a wonderful neck to make sure he sticks the thorn in. It's 
knock you down. Because pride, pain hurts, but pride kills. Number two, finding the opportunity of your pain. Pain can bring more of God into my life. Pain can bring more of God into my life. It can. Some of you are hurt right now because of a divorce, because of a failed relationship, because of a, I don't know, money loss. And you're praying. Your prayer quotient has exponentially increased from before. Can I tell you that's a good thing? Here's what, here's what pain does. Pain puts you on your knees when you're really in pain. Isn't that where you go? And sometimes that's the best place to be. And you start to say, okay, enough of this, Lord. I'm done. What do you want? Help me, Lord. And that's what Paul experienced. The thorn was in his eye. I prayed three times, verse 8. I prayed three times that God would take it away. But he said, what? My grace is sufficient. You know, some Christians like to say that God doesn't answer their prayers. Can I tell you that God answers every single prayer you pray? It's just sometimes you don't like the answer. Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> In fact, there's, I said four last service, I'll give you five. There are five answers to every prayer. You get one of them. Yes, which we all love. No. Sometimes the answer is slow. Sometimes the answer is grow. And sometimes the answer is whoa. Sometimes we got to grow up before we get it. Sometimes we got to slow down before we get it. And sometimes God's like, what? <laughs> All right. Paul gets a no. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. You want more of God? Man, be, be, be ready. When you pray for more of God, expect pain. Because I, I think about Joni Erickson Tata. Some of you know who she is. Some of you need to know who she is. She's a fabulous Christian writer. Countless books. She's ministered to millions of people around the world. She can't use any of her limbs. At age 16, she drove into a lake in 1967, cracked her spine on a rock under the water. She would have drowned if her sister hadn't turned at just the right moment to see her floating. She was laid in a hospital bed, told she would never walk or use her hands or arms ever again, and she wanted to commit suicide, and she couldn't because she couldn't use any of her appendages. And somebody led her to a more faithful understanding of Christ and suffering. She taught herself how to paint with her teeth, putting the brush in her teeth, and she became an author, and again, countless books. And some of her books, they're the best written Christian books out there. And she writes a book called, called God Weeps. And in that book, in the first chapter, she says this, quote, God always seems bigger to those who need him the most. And suffering is his tool to help us need him more. Some of you are like, proud people. And you're like, I got it. I know what I'm doing. I'm on, I'm on it. God's like, okay. And you're like, oh. And before you know it, you're like, I guess I don't. That's right. The best thing that pride does is it squashes ego and ratches it up God. It brings more of God into your life. And that's exactly what Paul says. I thank God for my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then his strength is made perfect in my life. If you want more of God, expect some pain to come. And I can tell you that in my own life, driven to my knees, through this church, through regular life stuff, 
through being just a dad and a father and a husband. I mean, it'll drive you to your knees, but sometimes when you're driven to your knees, that's when you experience more of God's glory than at any other time in your life. And he experienced grace. My grace, Paul says, my grace is sufficient, God said to him. Can we talk about grace for a second? Because some of you think that grace is just, oh, that's the stuff that God uses to forgive us of sins. Yes, but that's only half of it. Grace is a force in your life. I want you to write down this definition. Grace is the favor of God active in and through your life. It's the favor of God active in and through your life. It will bring more of his power at work in you. And, and this is what you have to understand, that though you might suffer pain, the favor is coming. It's going to take that terrible test that you went through and turn it into a testimony. You're going to turn that pain into something that you can proclaim so that others can find hope in the same thing that you went through. And that's what Peter Parker has to learn in this third and final movie. And he's ready to give up. You know, he's ready to check out. And this brings us to the last clip we're going to show. He goes to the high school roof where he hangs out to kind of just like press this button and undo the spell and give up on everything. And he's visited by two friends from the alternate universes. And yes, this is going to totally ruin the movie for all of you. Watch this. And a bond is formed through their shared pain and the Spider-Man super friends are born and I won't tell you anymore. But do you see what happens is that shared pain is what propels them into purpose. Can I have you write this down? If, if this pain, whatever you're going through, if this pain brings more of God into your life, it's worth it. It absolutely is. Because only through him do we understand why we're here, what we're supposed to do, and how we're supposed to live. And a lot of our problems is because we don't know why we're here, what we're supposed to do, or how we're supposed to live. But he does. And so sometimes pain knocks you down so that you seek him and you find out the truth that you need to set you free and walk in newness of life. Another guy who's very familiar with pain, his name's Job in the Old Testament. I'm going through Job right now in my personal private devotion time. Can I tell you, it's been a very dark month. <laughs> this is not a happy book. 42 chapters. 38 of which are Job saying, why? Because Job has everything taken away from him, right? Remember the first two chapters are exciting. God and Satan have this conversation. God, not Satan, brings up Job. God says, hey, Satan, have you met Job? He's amazing. He really loves me. And Satan's like, that's only because you keep him safe. And if you take everything away, he'll curse you to his face. And God's like, you're on. Let's do it. And Satan goes down and takes away everything from Job except his wife. And you can read into that any way you want. Just one line in the book, and she pretty much sums up why Satan left her alone. Anyway, <laughs> Satan goes back. God's like, see, you didn't curse me. He's like, that's because you keep him healthy. He says, all right, take away his health. He goes down and takes away his health, and scraping pot with pottery pieces, his boils on his skin, Job worships God. Then his friends show up, and for seven days, they're silent, sitting next to Job. Seven days, they're totally silent. By the way, that's the best thing to do with people in pain. Shut up. It's when they start speaking that it really goes poorly. And they start coming up with their simple solutions. Christianese, you're suffering because of something you did. You're suffering because of your mistakes. You need to repent. You, need to, you know, Christianese, sometimes it is that. Sometimes it's much more complicated. 
And along the way, Paul, uh, Job keeps saying, why God, why God? And you know what? The whole quest for understanding in Job's life hinges, switches in Job 23. In Job 23, verse 10, Job says this, but he knows. Somebody say, he knows. He knows the way that I take. In other words, God knows what's going on in my life. And he knows where I'm going. And when he's tried me, I'll come out as gold. I'll trust him, even when I don't know why. And then four verses later, four verses later, Job 23, 14, he says this, for he will complete what he appoints for me. And when I was reading that text, the Lord gave me a word. He put a verse, he put a, a not a, a verse, he put a, a truth in my life. I want to share it with you. Because from that moment forward, Job never asks anymore about why it happened. And I think about this. This is the word that God gave me. Spiritual growth begins the moment we stop asking why and start asking God what for. <laughs> How many of you are still asking God about why you went through what you went through? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some news. He might not tell you. You might never know. How do I know? Because Job never finds out why he suffered. Do you understand that? You read the whole book? God does not show up and say, all right, Job, here's what it went down. Satan came and visited me. We had this little wager. Sorry about the whole thing, but you passed. <laughs> no. Job never gets the answer to why, but he finds the what for. Because Job, the suffering, innocent servant of God, is pointing to Jesus, the suffering son of God, who will suffer for us and bring intercession to us so that we can have a relationship with the God he suffered for. There's a purpose to the pain. And you're going to grow when you stop obsessing about why it happened and start asking God, what is it for? Tell me what you want to do with this. I give up trying to understand you. You are beyond my understanding anyway. So help me to use what's happened to me for your glory and for the good of the people around me. Point number three, finding the opportunity of your pain. Pain can produce more of God's work through me. And that's what happens to, John, to, to um, Paul. And it's what happens to Job. It's what's gonna happen to you, but you gotta stop being bitter. Stop being blameful and stop isolating. Here's, here's what he says in verse 10. I love it. He says, for the sake of Christ. Can we just say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. For the sake of Christ. Can you, can you get that in there? It's not about me. For the sake of Christ. Now, remember I said, remember 14 years ago? Remember? I told you that. He went to heaven 14 years ago, he says. Came back to earth, thorn in the flesh. And I never thought about this, but he had the thorn of the flesh for 14 years. It was never taken away. And what does he do during that 14 years? If you read the book of Acts, you find out what he did during those 14 years. Because the visit to heaven happened somewhere around Acts chapter nine and 10. And he's just on fire for the Lord, for the rest of Acts. He just goes from city to city, planting churches, building up the kingdom, preaching Christ, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, setting people free, all the while, every night after a day of productive ministry, he goes home and deals with the pain. 
the pain, ripped him of his pride so they could get more of God and be more productive and other people could benefit. And I want to just give you something. Heads up, everybody. Everyone sitting here, including me standing here and everybody watching online, do you understand that we are all Christians because of what Paul did? He took the gospel from the Jewish nation and brought it to the nations beyond Israel. And everybody in here who's not a Jew is a son of God and a son of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ because of the work God did through the apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? That's what pain can do when you don't isolate and you don't get better and you don't spend your days wasting away wondering why. I had an elder come up to me after service, this first service. He said, I can't believe you shared that verse about Job saying he knows my daughter, is, and I remember this, his daughter died about 10 years ago. He had real struggle with that. And the verse that God gave him was, he knows. And he wrote that on his, on his desk somewhere and every once in a while he turns over the note and on the back side of the note it says, know God. He knows so that we can know Him. And when we know Him, man, we can change a lot of people's lives for Him and bring a lot of lost sons and daughters to Him and change the world for Him until Jesus comes again.